created a board game called Three Word Theories, where you come up with a three word theory about things. So my three word theory on coming into cyber would have been, what the hell? (laughs) And it was really just because, you know, I, it is learning an entirely new language in a lot of ways, right? I consider myself to be, you know, techie to a point, but if you are not in this space, have not in this space, it is essentially like learning a foreign language. Um, And the amount of jargon that is thrown around is, is incredible, Um, which is a huge miss, right? Because you think about, okay, so if you're selling to super technical people and that's your only uh, market, okay, maybe I understand. You want to be able to communicate on a, you know, higher thought leadership perspective. But if you are trying to target some of these small and medium sized business leaders, uh, there's a big miss All right, this is Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks. You know the drill. It's a cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer divide and everything in between. I am George K. on the vendor side. And I'm George A., Chief Information Security Officer. And we are coming to you live from very remote locations. Both of us are at company offsites. I'm recording in an increasingly hot closet. <laughs> George A. is in a hotel in Serbia. And we have with us today, Mariana Padilla, who is calling in from Chicago. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. So let's start with the most obvious place, as we always do, which is how you got into cyber. And you are a relative newcomer, which is absolutely why we have you on today. So you can actually start a few paces back if you want, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think if you would have asked me or told me when I was 18 that I would end up in cybersecurity, well, first of all, when I was 18, I don't even think that was on the radar. People were not talking about cybersecurity. This was not a thing. (laughs) So um, 18 year old me would have told you like, A, what the hell is that? And B, what, what, what? Um, And so it kind of was one of those situations where, you know, I've talked to a lot of folks in the industry who have kind of just stumbled into it and, and really found their place. And I would say that is Uh, Definitely the same for me. So um, my background, uh, spent some time in education and nonprofit before switching over uh, to marketing. And so I think really the thread between everything that I have done in my career is really that uh, storytelling uh, is the thread there. And uh, the better you can tell a story, the more successful you're going to be. Doesn't matter what you're doing. Talking to middle schoolers? Absolutely. Man, boring facts are not going to get them. Stories will, (laughs) for sure. Um, You know, uh, donors... Uh, VCs now in my in my role, but uh, so storytelling is is the thread there, and eventually moved to marketing, which is you know uh, storytelling king queen whatever you want to say queen queen of marketing storytelling or it should be, but um, ended up meeting my co-founder. I was doing a presentation on B two B Instagram marketing, and uh, I really feel that. Um, <clears throat> Community building is is the key to success. And so I was talking about that and B2B Instagram marketing. Uh, we ended up connecting because he really liked the approach that I took. And so he told me what he was building um, at Kicker, which um, I guess 10,000 foot view is an automated demo marketplace that makes it radically simple to buy and sell cybersecurity software. But really what I saw with that was the, um, I had personally experienced the, the pain of purchasing software and just, just how 
long it takes and how time consuming. And it's just like, man, why is this like this when 2023, when you can automate so many things, but, um, you know, saw when he was building a kicker, uh, to help the cybersecurity community and help the cybersecurity industry. And once I kind of went down the rabbit hole, man, I was hooked. Um, this is where I'm, I'm supposed to be really, truly feel that, um, you know, talk about superheroes. I feel like, uh, cybersecurity, uh, are the superheroes of our time, right? We have so many bad actors, you know, taking down systems and ransomware and, you know, infrastructure grids under threat. Um, these are the people fighting the good fight that I want to be with. Nice. That is quite the story. Um, so as you mentioned, you are this CEO at Kicker. So that puts you on the vendor side, which means the CISO is going to get first swing. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, first of all, thanks for uh, joining us for this. And, you know, I, I kind of appreciate where you're, where you're coming from. Um, you know, it's funny from a security methodology standpoint and what we a lot of us have been taught when we first started is that we are absolutely not the heroes because, you know, ask anyone that's worked in security long enough. When you do your job right and you're killing it and you're doing great, barely get a thank you out of anyone. The second any slight fuck up happens, everyone's looking at you. So it is like a straight up anti-hero journey. So it's nice to actually hear someone talk nicely about us for once. So thanks for doing that. Um, Absolutely. I, uh, I did take it to the, and then pardon any background noise because this is like the best I could do. George is in the closet. So he's got way better sound security right now. Um, yeah. You know what? Your product in the marketplace seems like a very innovative um aligned approach to something that I think a lot of us on the, on the practitioner side, especially us decision makers and purchasers could really benefit from. I, I think what I'm interested to understand from your perspective is how are you building out the buy-in with the various vendors to actually populate products within the marketplace, uh, considering, you know, when, when you're looking at a lot of these demos, there are open source available demos that really are not looking at individualized proprietary issues or, or specific, like client specific use cases. So you're looking mm -hmm. at a general use case for a technology, you know, pre NDA. But then, you know, usually the valuable demos are usually the ones where it's like we've signed an NDA. We can actually talk about what our problem statement is and we have a curated demo specifically for us. So how did you overcome that kind of issue where you're going to give a generalized demo that's going to provide value and then you're going to get potential clients that are trustworthy enough to actually go through the process and utilize the platform to kind of determine the decision making on what products they want to buy? Absolutely. So great question. Um, well, I think that really is the magic of Kicker is being able to pull out the most important use cases and spotlight those in our demos. And so what I would say to that is, um, you know, when we when we talk to salespeople from these vendors, you know, occasionally we'll, we'll get a few that are like, uh, you know, think thinking about what we're building, it, maybe we'll make some of them obsolete. Yeah, absolutely. So some of them say, oh my gosh, but they, they really need us. They need us to like guide us through this. Um, but I think for a lot of them, they really understand they are living the challenges. They're not meeting, uh, you know, their revenue goals. They understand that a lot of their team may not even be able to explain the product. They um, are facing a lot of challenges and really like they're, you know, their head's on the chopping block too, right? If they are not meeting their revenue goals, uh, those investors are going to have some really hot takes for them in terms of whether or not they're going to be able to get extension funding or whether or not, you know, they're going to have to go through a rift. So I think people are in a space to uh, really innovate and embrace innovation maybe for the first time. Um, but I would say to that that it really is um, 
the magic of Kicker is understanding what those use cases are and being able to pull them out so that people can have those own aha moments. Um, and so I think that uh, for a lot of these cybersecurity companies, they are so in the weeds and so in the thick of it with their own product that they're really unable to explain to the public what it is exactly that they are doing. And so we are the ones who can come in from the outside and do that. Now, the thing that I would say about that is that, you know, we want to make sure we're keeping all of that proprietary. So like for our platform, some sort of identity verification and permissions use access is going to be really important for the platform. And that came out very early in the, you know, customer interviews with people. But, um, you know, I think for the first time, there is an understanding and awakening with leaders in the industry that what they have always done isn't working. Now, whether or not they have the answer for that or know how to, you know, fix that is the question. So when we come to them and say, hey, hey, here's what we're doing. Um, in a lot of cases, it really doesn't take a lot of selling. Sometimes, yes, and maybe that's because they're just clinging on to the past, you know, ah, holding on for dear life, hoping things won't change. But I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, people people are antsy for change and we are providing the solution. So you're looking at this like, you know, it's, it's I see two kind of layers to the answer. One is like the ideological proof of concept idea. But then the other, which, you know, I don't think this is a, the right show for this, but getting into the actual technical architecture of how you have that platform built out and how you're actually managing the IAM for it between both your vendors and your clients. Uh, George, this is up to you because everyone just would walk back in the room. <laughs> All right. Happy to take it over. So I want to step back um, a second. We mentioned that you are new to cyber and you are also talking about new ideas, mm -hmm. right? Maybe the existing model has been problematic. So I'm curious to get your take on what was your first impression of cybersecurity marketing as you saw it coming into the industry as a marketing person, mm -hmm. but not like in this subculture of mm -hmm. cyber? What were those first impressions? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so I created a board game called Three Word Theories, where you come up with a three word theory about things. So if my three word theory on coming into cyber would have been, what the hell? <laughs> 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 and it was really just because, you know, I, it is learning an entirely new language in a lot of ways, right? I consider myself to be, you know, techie to a point, but if you are not in this space, have not in this space, it is essentially like learning a foreign language. Um, and the amount of jargon that is thrown around is, is incredible, um, which is a huge miss, right? Because you think about, okay, so if you're selling to super technical people and that's your only uh, market, okay, maybe I understand. You want to be able to communicate on a, you know, higher thought leader perspective. But if you are trying to target some of these small and medium-sized business leaders, uh, there's a big miss there, right? So these people did not go into business to be a cybersecurity expert. They went into business to be a mortgage broker, or they went into this business to be, a, you know, own a fitness studio or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And now, you know, they're in this place where um, those businesses are at risk, right? Everyone has a target on their back. Individuals, businesses alike, no business too, is too small to be targeted. Uh, by bad actors, right? And so I think that uh, the industry is missing out on how to best communicate with those individuals. Um, you know, the it, it is, like I said, learning a, an entirely different language. Um, and so that was my first impression was really that um, there's a communication problem. Yeah, I think that sounds right. I take your point, and we've talked about it a lot on this show about an over-reliance on jargon, kind of using it as a crutch in messaging. I also remember a post you did recently where you had 
a photo of like all these data sheets that you had spread out. And I, I think that even as critics of some of the messaging concerns, it was also surprising to me to see visually and aesthetically, like just from a simple branding level, like it, you get lost really fast, right? It's mm-hmm. just pieces of paper. They all look identical. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that from a storytelling perspective. Like what does your storyteller eye see is the primary conflict there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I by no means do I consider myself to be a branding expert, but I will. what I will say about branding is that the worst thing you can be is forgettable, right? So if mm-hmm. you have a really loud branding aesthetic, people may not like it, but they will remember it. They will remember that company as like, man, that company had a really loud neon green color. Which one was that? You just don't see that. And so the picture you were referring to, I think it was like seven or eight different data sheets from from different companies, but you literally could not tell the difference between them. It was all navy blue and black, you know, Mm. literally the same font, probably Arial or something, I don't even know. But there was absolutely no way to distinguish it. And so that would be my response to that is just, it just seems like there's a, um, and it's not just cybersecurity. It's it's suburbs, it's food, it's all everything. We're in a crisis of sameness, it feels like. It's Mm -hmm. so many different aspects of life that everyone's just doing the same thing. Um, And it's very hard to stand out from the crowd. And so I think, you know, the cybersecurity, I feel like is at a interesting point, right? So we're seeing a lot of consolidation because for the first time, uh, budgets are under scrutiny. So we're kind of seeing that, you know, these bigger cybersecurity companies have the power to consolidate Um, But at the same time, the introduction of AI into the ecosystem is just going to shake shake things up in a massive manner from the the way it can be used to either prevent or cause, you know, destruction. Um, I think the industry is going to have to respond and and quickly and figure out a way to to be more and more relevant. And so I think um, it's kind of interesting to see how that's going to play out. And and maybe it'll play out in companies taking a different stance on how they market themselves. But, um, you know, we're at a very interesting uh, place right now. And I'm going to be curious to see what happens. I'd like to challenge you on that, though, because having walked the floor at Black Hat this year, I was wholeheartedly unimpressed with what the cybersecurity industry has actually tried to do to address the ML capability reemergence. Um, you know, I just think people love using the buzzwordology mm. to, you know, AI is now the new zero trust, <laughs> which like WTF zero trust. It's just trust, but verify. That's all it is, right? It's another turnkey solution. It's stupid. I do think, however, that if we're talking about the implementation of large, large language models in actually enhancing, you know, data processing, that's a more substantive conversation I have yet to see anything in the security industry on the vendor side actually address this issue. Um, you know, and, and George and I both walked through the floors. DEF CON had a lot more, I guess, promise with some of the solutions mm-hmm. there. But I think, you know, I, I feel like this is more a speculative gamble. This is more like the market, like pre-2008, the way people are talking about AI. I'm just not seeing it. And I, I'd love to get some more insight from you. If you are if you know about something that's coming up in the sticks right now, it's going to change the game. Please let me know. Like, connect with me offline. But I'm not seeing shit right now on the vendor side. 
just because of the nature of our platform, we are uh, have our pulse on, I think, a lot of the up and coming cyber folks and and uh, and startups. So I'm not sure it's going to come from the establishment. I, you know, I think it may be coming from someone who's building, you know, their their own uh, lab in the basement or something like that, who's really thinking about how we use AI to to address things. Things. So I'm not sure if the answer, like I said, is coming from established players. But you know, there, I think there's going to be new and interesting people entering the market coming from different places yeah sounds good and uh and just to put too fine a point on it right i think the obfuscation and the confusion that comes from muddled messaging mm-hmm. is leading to these protracted sales processes mm-hmm. where it takes like four calls to convince somebody to get on with the demo and it's super general and then i mean it takes like the number of meetings before anyone either feels comfortable or can or on George's side can get substantive answers to their questions is just really long and arduous and maybe more than it should be. Um, But I want to focus again on your view as an outsider. You've also had some hot takes lately on VC communities and how, you know, what it is like to be a Latino woman CEO in a tech company and there's a lot of sameness there too, one mm-hmm. could argue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been really interesting um, <laughs> coming in, you know, I ran a small business and, and kind of still running a small business on the side. And so um, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there um, that really did not prepare me for uh, for the fundraising game. And, you know, I, there's a lot of first-time founders who come into this and, and fundraise, but I didn't really know what to expect other than what I had seen on Silicon Valley, uh, which in a lot of ways is <laughs> like wildly accurate, which I didn't yes. know. Yes. <laughs> sometimes sometimes uh, art imitates life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's just really interesting to see, you know, the, the amount of funding that went to, to uh, women founders uh, really dropped off in 2022. I mean, funding in general really Really dropped off in 2022, but it seemed to me like VCs were, uh, you know, holding onto their money more closely and, and putting their bets on what they considered to be safe. Um, you know, so that would be 98% of that money going to um, male founders and, and, and uh, definitely not people of color. I think the sp- statistics on the percentage of that 2% that went to Latina women was like 0.3% or something like that. So, um, you know, they're, they're placing their bets on what they consider to be safe. But when you look at the statistics about the companies and the, the VC firms that are getting returns on their investment, they're not getting a return on their investment. So if you keep doubling down on what you consider to be a safe bet, but you're not getting your return, what are you doing really? Like to, you know, like I, I, I mm-hmm. put in the post, like what is it? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So why aren't you taking a chance on, on outsiders? Why aren't you taking a chance on women and people of color? Um, because if your safe bet isn't safe, then uh, it's time to do something different. Yeah, I dig it. Um, George, do you have any other questions before we take a break? I'm trying to think about, I'm thinking about what she's saying because I am looking at a different approach to kind of the problem with DEI because I think we also have a Mm -hmm. DEI problem in our industry generally and the way that we're Mm -hmm. actually assessing it. And, you know, I was looking at it from more of a talent standpoint, Um, you know, talent, like the talent crisis, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. where it's like, is it an issue of not enough talent or is it an issue of not enough opportunity? Mm -hmm. And I kind of pose the same question in the VC space with founders as well. Is it a question of is there not enough talent 
or is there not enough opportunity? And by opportunity, I mean, you know, are they pitching in an effective enough manner to VCs to actually acquire the funding? Because again, like you have a great solution and your your whole jam is about telling an effective mm-hmm. story. So why do you think, uh, you know, female founders and, and people of color, of which I'm a person of color as well, how are they not effectively able to get the VC money that they need to actually get off the ground, whereas folks from, we'll say, the traditional communities are able to do so? What do you think mm-hmm. is the difference? Um, I, it's simple. It boils down to networking community, right? So, you know, growing up, being an entrepreneur, starting a company was never an option to me. I did not have access to mentors who were in this space, didn't even really consider it to be something that I should pursue until I kind of fell into entrepreneurship uh, uh, in the middle of pandemic. And so I think um, that's a huge part of it, right? Where if you're coming from a more privileged background, if you have access to an Ivy League network, if you have access to people who have started their own businesses, you have someone you can ask. You have someone, you know, like it can be very intimidating, right? You know, um, asking for help, I think is something a lot of times that is stigmatized in our culture. Like, ah, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There's a whole conversation you had there if you don't have bootstraps to begin with. But, um, you know, there's this whole thing around asking for money and I think it can be very intimidating um, and so if you don't know what you're stepping into and you don't have someone to look to um, you know it's going to be the very rare few that take the leap and say this is something I'm interested in now I'm very lucky to have a, a serial entrepreneur fiance who I can ask all these questions of and say hey is this like supposed to be happening this way like what should I expect from my first VC meeting any of that kind of stuff um, but you know you have to find out you have to go out and find those resources dedicated to helping uh, people of color and women enter the space and I'm very lucky uh, to be connected to a program locally here in Chicago called P33 shout out to them um, who hosts pitch competitions to give non-dilutive funding to people of color, um, a ment- like a fundraising mentorship program, those kinds of things. Um, but we need to have more of those because there's a step missing between the people who have the business idea and the ones who are able to be successful. And I think that step is really like I you know, said, the, the network and the community and the support system that can help them get to that next level. Sweet. So in brass tacks, I was going to ask, how would you suggest to solve it? But I think it's a perfect segue to brass tacks. That's right. All right. We will be right back after the break. Hey, Bare Knuckle listeners. Reminder that this month, October, we are running what we're calling the Cyber Community Month Challenge in partnership with our friends at the Cyber Ranch Podcast and Simply Solving Cyber. We're tired of the general Cybersecurity Awareness Month spam that goes out and reminds practitioners about ransomware and passwords and MFA. They know that. Let's try something different. Vendors, we're challenging you to come up with marketing campaigns that give back to the cybersecurity community rather than sending them the usual dross. Client-side practitioners, get out there, engage your communities, volunteer at schools, help nonprofits, spread cyber skills beyond just your employees. We are awarding some killer prizes this November. Share your efforts on LinkedIn with hashtag CyberCommunityChallenge. We look forward to seeing what you can put out there, get creative, and think a little bit differently this month. One of the things that I'm going to return to is storytelling and community. I'll start with storytelling first. So what would be your advice to early stage startup cyber companies, I think what we've pointed out is they look at the market and then they just sort of imitate 
what's out there, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how we get this crisis of sameness. Mm -hmm. um, we have all the hoodies or we have all of the, it's a both, both cyber has its own culture, but also like just SaaS sales has its For own sure. kind of uh, milieu. So, you know, if you could advise them from the marketing standpoint and the messaging standpoint, like what are some key points you would hit home? Like, okay, instead of looking at Sentinel One, CrowdStrike, Splunk's site and trying mm -hmm. to copy that, this is what you should do instead. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So keep it human and double down on community. Um, so I think there's a tendency in the industry to uh, really go, you know, hard on thought leadership. And so, um, you know, the number one rule that they teach you in owning a small business is people don't buy from companies, they buy from other people that they know, like, and trust. But that I don't think has translated well to the B2B space. So you need to be someone that people know, like, and trust. And so they want to, I want to know the faces behind the team. I want to know who I'm buying from. I want to know uh, what it is that you're bring, bringing to the business that makes you unique and special, not just about your product. Um, so that would be the first thing that I would say. And so I think there's a lot of companies starting to do marketing in a different way that showcases um, the human side of the business. And then the other one I would say is double down on community. I think it is a, um, you know, a human need. Uh, to be part of something, to find your tribe, right? And so I think mm -hmm. we're seeing this play out in different ways and societally with like the tribalization of politics or whatever, we're not going to talk about that, but people want to be part of something. So if you can capitalize on that, and if you can create a community that people want to be part of, these are going to be the people that, you know, help you start and help you grow and help you expand. One of the most interesting articles I read early on in my uh, starting my business was called 100 True Fans. And the whole idea was you just need a hundred true fans to help you start. We're going to be a riding guy and help you essentially expand and grow. And so um, it's, it's really about finding those people who believe in you, believe in the product and um, are going to stick with you and spread the word about what you are doing. Um, I think would be the two things that I would say to anyone starting and launching um, a product or starting a business. Yeah, that sounds true to me, both intuitively and in experience. I have seen that quote unquote community can be everything from your first customers mm -hmm. to, you know, other sets of people. And I, I have seen repeatedly that the companies that invest in those customers, instead of like go on the spree for new logo acquisition, mm -hmm. the people who are going to take a chance on you, you should really deepen that relationship. Mm -hmm. Like those are the people who can help inform the roadmap, mm -hmm. not, you know, give it to you, but you should definitely be taking that feedback because they took the chance on you and, and deepen that relationship. Yeah. As, as George has often said, you're working for the renewal, mm -hmm. not just like that first mm -hmm. signature. Yep. Absolutely. And I think churn often goes overlooked, but you know, it's a huge waste. And not only that, you just want to be seen as someone who is a trustworthy company in the industry who people want to keep coming back to. Um, so that just makes, it makes so much sense to me. For sure. Over to you, George. Yeah. I, I think again, like I really want to go on to trying to establish um, a greater process for people of color and women and it just folks from marginalized communities who want to become founders in this space because I think, you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned and I, and I want you to expand upon you know, not even at an institutional level, because I don't think the institutions are going to service these, these folks. I, I think what it is is as a community, how can we come together to build the necessary skill sets to bridge that gap? Because I think no one's going to give us a handout. And anything that I've seen when it comes to social mobility is especially a case where 
they don't really want to bring you aboard because they want to keep it to themselves. So how would you suggest as a community, as a community, both of practitioners, of future founders, of folks who are on the sales side, when we all come together and start to try to make our own new companies, our own new services, our own new technologies, how do we break through and we create a new generation of venture capital and folks who actually reach up and, and kind of become the corporations of the future because i think you know what if there's one thing that black hat showed this year the cybersecurity companies of old they're going to be left behind real soon and i think it's time for the era of the the new generation the marginalized folks the mm-hmm. we'll call it the anti-heroes it's our time <laughs> to step up yeah absolutely well i first of all i think it involves um, having more of these conversations and uh the uh, strategic bringing together of allies uh, along with people of color who are doing this. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if a specific group that comes to mind with that, but just planting the seed for, we all need to be getting together more and discussing these things. Uh, but then the second thing that I would say is I really think it starts with, um, you know, customer discovery on a community level. And what I mean by that is I'm thinking about how Mark Zuckerberg came in and dumped a whole bunch of money into a school system in Philadelphia and it made absolutely no impact. And the reason that it made, yeah, it made no impact was because he hadn't talked to the community about what they really needed. So it's mm-hmm. going to vary from community to community about what those needs really actually are. Is it, you know, securing safety in the neighborhood first so that people can focus on, you know, building the skill sets and coding? Is it uh, having access to alternative education? Is it, you know, and it's going to vary from community to community to community. And, you know, spending some time in nonprofit, I think that was the one thing that I learned was like, you have all these large institutions prescribing these solutions for what they think is needed when a lot of times it isn't actually that because they haven't taken the time to ask people what they actually need. So I'm not sure I have a distinct answer for you other than we need to, people like us who have this, this similar mindset need to be having more of these discussions. We need to be gathering more often. Um, and we need to be involving uh, the community in that problem solving process rather than coming to them later and saying, here's what you, here's what we think you need. So you're saying yeah. we have to work together with our future, sorry, George, so you're saying you have to work together with our future competitors. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> There's so much heat coming off of the pod. It got really hot in this closet. I had to open the door. I'm sorry. Uh, But I I also think what you're saying is deeper involvement, right? So I have seen a lot of programs. They'll go to Title I schools and they'll be like, we need to get these kids in STEM and STEAM and get them coding. Mm -hmm. And it's like, cool, cool. You taught them how to code. Yeah. Now what? Like, Mm -hmm. do they have access to the mentorship do they know where to apply for software engineering jobs? Do they know what those resumes should look like relative to peers who are coming out of as you know, higher education that have had more experience? You know, it's like the access points have to be consistent across uh, many steps of the journey. It's not just sort of like drop into to this one thing. And George and I have gone back and forth on this. And I think... Oh, this could be spicy. You know, there a lot of the focus in a similar way, a lot of the focus is on technology and they ignore process out of the triad. And George and I have also said, like, there are a lot of initiatives that focus on some of the identity politics, but really like class is ignored mm. as a serious delimiter mm-hmm. to some of these opportunities because if you don't have a certain 
echelon of income, you you're not those opportunities aren't even open to you, whether it be higher education, the network, uh, the professional mentorship. And so I just think that that gets left out of the equation, especially in a, a lot of stuff in the U.S. right now. Feels like it's sinking down to the identity, yeah. but class is a huge not not deal. to go like full, you know, like um, not to go full Marxist on you, but I do think there's a bit of a class <laughs> war, and I think that's a barrier Absolutely. to entry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I would completely agree. Um, my former communist mother, uh, not, yeah, now full blood Democrat, would would hundred percent agree with you. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, cool. Well. Mariana, this has been a great pleasure. Thank you for sticking it out through multiple Wi-Fi and audio issues. Any closing remarks? Um, that my door is always open for anyone who is interested to chat with me, um, here to be an ally, mentor, any of those things. So please do not hesitate to reach out to me. I really take my um, platform and position as one of the very few Latina CEOs in cybersecurity very seriously. And um, I do everything I can to open the door to uh, other folks to enter the space as well. So uh, reach out. Nice. Well, thank you very much for the time and good luck in the continued mission to shake shit up in cyber. We look forward to meeting at a future con in person. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. That's it for this week's episode of Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks. If you have an experience, good or bad, that you want to share, whether you're on the selling side or the buying side, Record a voice memo and send it our way to bareknucklespod, all one word, at gmail.com. That's bareknucklespod at gmail.com. We'd love to feature your experience. Now, if you like what you heard, we'd like to ask that you share this episode with one friend this week. It helps others find the show. New episodes drop every Monday. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And I just had to open the door because it got super hot in here. Um, I am, dude, I am sitting right now like I'm on an album cover. My fucking legs are going to be numb by the end of this. <laughs> That's awesome.